0: Welcome to the Dragons podcast where we host conversations within the Dragons international community that explore the boundaries of place and purpose. Where There Be Dragons is an organization committed to cross-cultural education as a tool for breaking down barriers. This series contributes to our mission of enhancing understanding between people and communities around the world. I'm your host, Bub, A Dragons alumni having gone to Indonesia as part of my gap year in 2014. We hope these conversations offer you fresh perspective and inspire curiosity, appreciation, and respect for our planet, ourselves, and others. Thank you for listening. In this episode of the Dragons podcast, I speak with Claire Bennett. Claire has been leading Where There Be Dragons trips in Nepal. India, Indonesia, and Cambodia since 2010. She recently wrote a book called Learning Service, The Essential Guide to Volunteering Abroad, which we will dive into in our conversation. Well, thanks for joining me, Claire.
1: I'm so delighted.
0: And just to jump right in, what is important for us to know about you?
1: (laughs) Well, um, maybe that I live in Kathmandu, Nepal, Um, And that I've lived there for the last nine years. And before that, I had nearly three years in Cambodia. So I've lived in Asia for a lot of my life. Um, I have a background of working in development, which basically means working for NGOs and being involved in social change internationally. Um, And I co-founded an NGO in Nepal as well. Um, But these days, I do a lot more work in global education and educational travel um I I am British I was born in the UK which <laughs> explains my accent um, and probably because of that, I drink an inordinate amount of tea um, and I drink it without milk these days because for about four years now I've I've been vegan ah. um, and I am the co-founder of an advocacy movement, called Learning Service, and the author of a book called Learning Service, The Essential Guide to Volunteer Travel, which I think is something that we're going to talk about a lot more yes. in this conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. And wait, to jump in, just a brief question. Yeah. Do Do people in Kathmandu, is it typical to drink tea with milk or no milk?
1: Yeah, it's very typical to drink it with milk um, and to mix it all in together, but luckily, Black tea is also a thing, especially in the mountains when it's not always possible to get hold of milk. So it is so easy for me to drink tea without that milk. It's actually so easy to be vegan in ah. oh. So I thought it was going to be this big, difficult change and, you know, you have to be really awkward and say like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm vegan. Yeah. But actually, I can just say like, hello, like basically the translation is, can I have some normal food, please? Yeah. And then <laughs> you good. get purely vegan food. So it's fantastic.
0: Wow, that would be awesome if I could ask for that wherever, <laughs> wherever I go in New York, I guess. Um, and, well, we'll jump into your book in, in a few minutes. Um, but when did you, so you've been a Dragons instructor for a while. When was the first yeah. one that you did?
1: 2010. Um, I actually started unusually on the The educator program. So I have a bit of a background of working in education and I was a teacher trainer for global education in the UK. And then in 2010, I stumbled across Dragons and they were doing the first ever educator course Mm. in Cambodia. Um, So I sort of got involved quite last minute. Um, cause I was like, this is brilliant. This is exactly the kind of work that I want to get involved in. And that was my first course. And once I'd done one, I sort of became addicted. I, I, you know, I fell in love with this kind of education and kept on doing more. So that was like nine years ago now, more than nine years ago.
0: What do you, what do you think was the most attractive or addictive part of the dragons courses that you're <laughs> instructing? <laughs>
1: so um like I said my background is both in development so you know doing things overseas to try and improve people's lives and in education um and when I became a little bit disillusioned maybe with development like sort of realizing that I wasn't making as much of an impact as I'd wanted um I came back to the UK and got really involved in development education, which is a field that I love. It's basically saying, you know what, we don't need to be going out and changing other people's lives. Mm. Let's, you know, because because we don't really have all the answers to that, but let's make totally. sure that we're asking the right, right questions. You know, let's make sure that, that at least people are informed and aware of the development issues that are going on in the world. Um, so that was... You know, that was me coming back to the UK and getting involved in work that I loved, but not really in a place that I loved because the weather in the UK is, um, (laughs) just looking out of my window right now, it's actually sort of grey and drizzly and very cold, um, which is nothing like, you know, Cambodia or Nepal, which are the places that I know very well. Um, So when I found that there was a way to combine this passion that I'd found of development education, um, and my love of young people and, um, you know, all the excitement that that brings with it and travel and being in these fantastic, warm, sunny climates. It was just, you know, it was the perfect job for me basically. And so I haven't really looked back.
0: Very cool. (laughs) And as You know dragons um, would sort of ask this type of question with the term place being Mm -hmm. however you can take it. Um, What place in the world has had the most influence on your life?
1: I'm going to have to say Kathmandu. Um, So it was more or less the first place that I visited outside of, of my native Britain. And I was a teenager when I first went there, and I... I can only describe my experience as something akin to intoxication or something Mm. that I often describe as magic. Um, it was like realizing that everything I had thought to be true up until that point had just been proven wrong and that Kathmandu was teaching me truths that I was going to take with me throughout my life. Um, and that's really why I've, I've, come back to it again and again and you know settled there you know I'm, I'm just really taken with the way in which Kathmandu can can blend the ancient and the modern so what you'll see in Kathmandu are like you know motorbikes parked next to ancient crumbling monuments and you know there's a shrine on every street corner you know to different gods to different religions yeah um as well as you know having all the hallmarks of a modern city so there are malls there are highways there's awful congestion there's horrible pollution and all of that but you can't sort of disguise this sort of you know the the underlying it all this living culture you know of artisans who have passed down their learning through generations um and then you know behind it all the the white-topped Himalayan mountains that sort of peek out of the pollution from time to time and just lend this really sort of ethereal quality to the whole place so there's just so much to it that is that that just really sort of captures me and keeps me there
0: what took you there the first time (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's a great question. and It does link into something that I think we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I uh, I first went to Nepal as a volunteer. Ah. And I do think that that's really significant in, you know, my life story and what I went on to. I, I always come back to this of, you know, why did I feel like I couldn't just travel? Why did yeah. I feel like I was compelled? You know, if I was going to go somewhere like Nepal... I had to be doing something. I had to be, you know, addressing poverty or something like that. Um, and I think that is a, a draw that a lot of people feel. And I've been exploring that and sort of unpacking it. And, you know, that's why I've done so much later work looking at, you know, the the sort of the whole field of volunteering and especially, you know, volunteering whilst traveling.
0: I know that Learning Service, your book, touches on this. Um, but first, can you tell me what volunteerism is and why do you think there is a case for rethinking it?
1: Yeah, that is that's a great question um, because volunteerism is quite a new word and it's I think it's really widely used now in the media, but it also doesn't really have a fixed definition. So at, at its most basic... Voluntourism is the combination of of two words, like volunteer yeah. and tourism and those two words are things that previously uh, have been considered to be quite separate from each other um, You know international volunteering has been around for a while, but that used to be something that you would have to give up a significant period of your time for. And, you know, you'd have to join a long-term sponsored program like the Peace Corps. Yeah. And it's only really been in the last couple of decades where the idea of doing something to help during your vacation, you know, and your vacation time might be pretty short, like one or two weeks. And that idea has really come into being. So, volunteerism can really be anything from spending, you know, a few weeks to a few months of your time abroad purely focused on volunteering to you know going on holiday and having a few hours maybe of you know tagged on where you might do something that is contributing like you know planting a tree or visiting a children's center or something like that you know you know accompanying most of your time which will be like sightseeing or you know landing on the beach
0: yeah and just to reiterate that question, why do you think there's a case for rethinking it or um, what does that look like?
1: So I think, you know, the main case for rethinking it is that because it's really sort of, you know, boomed in recent years, um, it has this reputation for being so easy. So people, you know, look at all this, this marketing materials of like, oh, look, I can book it in the same way as I can, you know, book any kind of travel package, and, you know, it looks so fabulous. Like, oh, I can go on vacation and I can help vulnerable people or, you know, like
0: yeah. serve
1: animals or whatever it is. And that's amazing. And yet, you know, if, to put it really starkly, that is not true. You know, as I think, you know, a lot of us that, that work on Dragon's programs know, mm-hmm. social change is really complex. Yeah. Uh, and it isn't something you can just do on vacation. So, um, you know, that was, that's one side of it. And then the other side, um, is really from spending a lot of time, um, living and working overseas and working in, you know, the fields of development and kind of long-term change to see that a lot of these short-term programs are actually doing damage to the very causes that they're sort of purporting to help. And, um, you know, that is exactly the opposite of the intentions of most of the people that are attracted to do these programs. And so that was really a lot of the things that were sort of, um, sort of, you know, all coming together.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sort of alarms to realize that change could be made differently.
1: Absolutely. And
0: whether it's your book or other projects, what kind of advocacy have you done in terms of rethinking volunteerism?
1: Um, so we started off about, it was about 10 years ago, really trying to raise awareness of, it started really around a particular issue, which was the issue of orphanage tourism, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that when I was living in Cambodia was a really, um, we started to see it really starkly that, um, you know, volunteers would come and, and, you know, do something that sounds, you know, at first glance, like really lovely, like offering some love to kids that need it, vulnerable children. And in reality, um, you know, for vulnerable children to make short-term attachments is extremely damaging and even worse than that is that because this was uh, an activity that was seen as something that was so popular and in demand. Then you know this sort of a business that would spring up around this would mean that people would you know
0: be basically
1: yeah exactly yeah see it as a business opportunity and you know want to um, create opportunities for tourists to come and see children and therefore you know like in a sense be creating orphans. It's something that is known as orphanage trafficking, meaning that children were separated from their families. Um, presented as orphans wow. so that you know money could be made yeah so it's you know it's it's um if you see it from that side you know you can see that it's it's um quite a sort of dark it's, you know yeah exploitative yeah. Yeah. absolutely um but something that you know the volunteers themselves or the tourists that would just come in and you know you know maybe donate some money and take some photos wouldn't have any context for it so wouldn't really know how to how to see it so so that was the issue that sort of got us all going on this was, you know, it's, it was a really stark example. And and I, we first noticed it in Cambodia and that was where the research was happening. And then I moved to Nepal and, you know, just wondered, like, I wonder if a similar process is going on and immediately, you know, started to um, join up with all these other groups that had been uncovering exactly the same thing. And now – Research on this has been done all over the world to find that really similar processes are at play. So um, that was – let's say that was the original motivation um, to get going on this.
0: Is that what led to your book Learning Service?
1: That was one of the things. So we basically got involved in some very, let's say, like low-level um, campaigning um we start learning service actually started as a like um a a philosophy towards volunteering that we were like this is something that we're going to try and and promote and we started off with um we made a website and we put some resources you know we had like toolkits and we made some videos and they were sort of you know like Downloadable things to help potential volunteers and to raise awareness about some of these issues, some of the damaging practices. Because even though you know the orphanage volunteering one is is something that is we can we can use it as like let's say a flagship example, but actually you know there are pitfalls to all kinds of volunteering, and we were trying to like raise awareness around that. Um, but what we realised is that you know when people were turning around to us and they were saying, "Wow, I didn't realise it was this complicated. What, what can we do?" There isn't, there wasn't really a sound by answer, you know, people sort of wanted us to be able to say in an email or they wanted us to recommend an organization and, you know, it it really doesn't work like that. So, you know, we were having a lot more conversations about if we really want to give people advice, you know, and, and really guide them through a process, you know, this is, this is a bigger project, this, this is going to require a book. And so that's, that's, you know, the thinking behind writing a book.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about that process and what the book focuses on?
1: Yeah, so... um, Because it's a
0: pretty pretty, uh, big thing to tackle, I suppose.
1: It is, it is. So, like I said, we started off with this philosophy that we called learning service, which um, we sort of try to flip the idea of service learning on its head, if you like, Mm -hmm. um, where we're trying to put learning at the center, you know, at the beginning and all the way through, um, the idea of doing service. So that's where it started. Um, and then, you know, the, the way that we try to describe it in a simple way is, is to sort of say, um, to imagine traditional volunteering as someone getting off a plane and saying, hello, I'm here to help you. You know, someone can comp- completely without context, usually without language skills, and and most often without ever having been to that country or even talked to someone in that country about what problems they're facing and what the solutions might be. And, you know, we're saying that that our suggested method of travel is something that is slightly more nuanced and that if you, you know, follow it to its logical conclusion, means that travel looks really differently. So we're saying that like someone, instead of leaping off the plane, immediately saying they want to help to say, you know, they'd get off the plane saying, hi, I'm here to learn from you if and how I can be of help either now or in the future. And so it's a, you know, it's a slight shift in emphasis, but the actual process of how you might do that, um, you know, is, is quite a bit longer and so in through the book the way that the book looks is that we start it off with um sections on learning and you know that the learning we say really starts with yourself um it's really Mm -hmm. you know if if you don't understand yourself and if you don't understand your own motivations and if you don't um if you aren't able to kind of you know get some awareness of you know your attitudes or your mindset um then it's going to be very difficult for you to do the kind of learning when you're overseas or you know in another country that will mean that you're going to be effective when you're offering service so we start really with that the sort of going inwards and then we move it out into this sort of more broader context to look at you know actually let's place volunteering into the sort of historical and sort of you know um developmental context so we look at things like colonization you know a lot of people take volunteering to completely out of this that, lens you yeah. know but when you look at it like optically what's happening is you know some people are coming from, it's always one way, right, voluntourism. We, it's from, you know, Western developed countries, usually white people, going to places that are in less developed, um, usually brown or black people. And, you know, looking at it on the surface, it looks very similar to colonization. You know, it's people offering things that they think
0: are the way know, are of... The,
1: other people need yeah yeah this is what your lifestyle should look like and um and really without understanding that and without understanding the history of volunteering itself and without understanding development you know and these these processes that are happening all the time you know there aren't people sitting around waiting to be rescued by volunteers actually there is a whole ecosystem of social change happening you know um on the ground in these countries. And, and yeah, there, there probably is a place that you might be able to fit within that ecosystem. Um, but you have to view it like that, right. Rather than, Hey, it's all right. I'm here now. I'm coming yeah. in. I'll be able to the well, <laughs> which, you know, yeah, it's, it sounds funny, but like, that's the way it that these opportunities yeah. are marketed. You know, there's a whole, um, there's whole companies that are set up in order to provide these kind of tick box experiences, um, that make you feel good about yourself, um, without really having the evidence, the backup that they're really contributing to long-term change. How do
0: change? people that are, yeah. um, um, volunteering right now, <laughs> uh, you know, how do they change their minds, or how do they become intrigued about your book and why?
1: Right. Well, I mean, there's a whole load of different sort of entry points, let's say, so, you know, it can happen that people are just thinking about these issues or have come okay. across, you know, some some ideas that have sparked, you know, they sort of thought that maybe volunteerism isn't all it's cracked up to be, or maybe it's a little bit problematic. Um, but usually, as you say, it's people that have been really drawn into doing this. It's, you know, You know, like, like I was, you know, I really want to go save the world. Um, And here's this wonderfully packaged opportunity to go and do that. And then what tends to happen is that people that are very self-reflective and that go in with, you know, a very open attitude start to realize that maybe it isn't actually as simple as it was first assumed. Um, And so it is possible to enter the book as well at a completely different stage because we split the book up into like the first half of the book is learning and the second half of the book is action. Mm. And so the second half of the book is really all about like what kind of action can you take in order to, you know, be effective at whatever goals it is that you've set out to do. And like, and so, um, if there are people that are, you know, they're already sort of, in placement and they're like, oh, you know, I am I feel like I'm not doing this as well as I could be, then there's, you know, all of this sort of, mainly they're sort of questions and pointers, you know, it's not like we don't really have a formula for how yeah. you do it, but we, we do say like, this is, these are the kind of things you need to be aware of. Here are the kind of questions you need to ask um, and guide you through a process so that you can, you know, at least move towards ensuring that you're being effective and and also that you're not contributing to things like corruption or you know doing projects that ultimately might go against your values which you know it can be hard to tell that in advance when you're just sort of booking a trip
0: yeah and it it seems like what you're saying is people often have a good intention whenever they're volunteering or volunteering Mm -hmm. um and if they continue with those good intentions maybe they'll you know keep searching for for better ways of doing uh, yeah absolutely
1: yeah. absolutely and I think you know one one of the other things that we noticed when we were first looking into you know developing the idea of learning service and first noticing the harms that were caused by some forms of voluntarism, um, was really that there was a harm to the volunteers themselves when they they went on a sort of poorly planned volunteerism project, that they would often come out of that that situation completely disempowered, right? So either they would just be overwhelmed by poverty or, um, you know, or the, yeah. you know, the, the failure of being set up to do something and realizing that you can't really. Um, and that that, that would, would have an impact in terms of them not really wanting to engage in this in the future. Um, And then the other side of that is what we call, you know, like saviour complex is when actually people think, yeah, I've done a great job, (laughs) you know, right. I've, you know, I've built that wall of the school or whatever. That's my contribution to development in Africa. I'm going to go home and (laughs) just continue with my life, however it was before, you know, and I won't need to, feel guilty or self reflective or analyze you know my lifestyle and how that is contributing to these global systems you know i'll just go go home and forget all about it and all of these things you know they're really damaging because what we want is to capture this let's say this like youthful idealism that tends to fuel voluntourism experiences and sort of channel that into something that is more meaningful and more long term and ultimately more impactful.
0: Yeah. And I, I am sort of caught back when you were talking about the savior complex. And Mm. I remember when I was probably like nine or something, my family took me on. I don't know if you've heard of YWAM, but it was like, (laughs) uh, I think it was youth with a mission and it was like Mm. getting basically, yeah, white people going to another con- a country that we decided needed help and we basically built homes um, right. and, like, intruded on their community and just started building homes. And, I mean, yeah, like, when I was nine, I was like, yeah, that's, you know, like, I did something good and, like, um, that, uh, like, it felt good.
1: Yeah, then, of course. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and so, like, I can totally understand how so many people just do that and keep doing that. But right. then also, even thinking back now to – when I was nine, and like, I was playing with the local kids, that was probably the most understanding part of that program that we were when we weren't, like, quote, unquote, trying to help them, we were spending time with them. And I think that kind of translates back to what you were talking about, about asking the right questions and spending time with the locals to really understand each other. So
1: yeah. So in learning service, we talk about the kind of relationships that are inadvertently created when you come in self-identifying as a volunteer or as a helper. And you basically putting yourself in a position of superiority and saying, like, you know, I'm helping you and you are the recipient, which is often a passive role. And, you know, you basically just receive what I'm there to offer you. Um, and it's a, it's a power dynamic that is created. And, and actually what we're saying is that, the you know, actually to really, ha- you know, be in with a chance of doing something that is actually helpful, you need to create a more horizontal relationship, which is more of an exchange. And you actually need to recognize that the people that are the experts in these scenarios are always going to be the people that have lived through it. And yep. so if you come in and, and you know, with the humility of saying, hey, you know what, I actually just don't know what it's like to be in your shoes, but I'd like to learn about it because I'm committed to, you know, joining you in solidarity and seeing if there is something that we can do together that is led by your lived experience, you know, and that's a really different way of approaching a problem. Um, yes. Yes. I also just want to say, by the way, just when you were saying about, you know, doing a project where you go in and just build people homes, we have a a brilliant blog on the learning service website. Uh, one of the things that I do now is... Um, interview people who have been on the other side of volunteer programs. Wow, all
0: right. <laughs> um,
1: it's, it's so fascinating. So people that have grown up with volunteers, you know, coming into their schools to help them or that kind of thing and just sort of say, you know, what was it like? And
0: usually oh, the answer you weird.
1: get, it's, yeah, it's it's so okay. interesting. Usually what you get is people saying things like, oh, it was, it was kind of bizarre, you know. <laughs> um, but one of the blogs that we have, it's called um, – So you want to build me a house? And it's from a friend of mine who lives in Cambodia, and he tells all these stories about these volunteer projects that, you know, from, you know, you can, you know exactly how they've been marketed and how the people that are doing it uh, think about it. And it sounds exactly like your experience when you were nine. Yeah. Um, You know, how wonderful we're building people in poverty that couldn't otherwise build themselves houses. And, you know, and actually... One of the stories that he tells is someone who was fairly wealthy in the community. Um, and he just got married and he moved out of his big fancy house in the town into a wooden house in the suburbs, um, thinking that he might sort of you know later do it up and all of this. And actually, he was the owner of a construction company, um, and then a group of volunteers turn up in the village and they find him just living in this wooden house. And they're like, Oh, you know, can we build you a, a house? And this is someone who a is very rich and B is like yeah. in the construction wow. trade. And he was like, well, I suppose if you're going to do it for free, then sure. Yeah. And so they all <laughs> like come in and build him a house and he just sits around instead oh my of doing nice. anything. And, <laughs> but the whole thing is, it's, I mean, it's sort of, A comedy if it wasn't such a travesty and such a misfiring of you know useful resources um but yeah
0: (laughs) I I would love to continue on but we are a bit limited on time before I I jump into two more questions can you tell us where we can find your book and where we can learn more about it
1: Yes, absolutely. So maybe the easiest way for people to go and find it is um, on our website. So we have a website, which is learningservice, or one word, dot info, I-N-F-O. Um, and there you can find a link to uh, get hold of the book, but you can also find all of our other resources. So we have toolkits and videos and a blog, which, you know, um, we're updating the blog all the time. And then all of our social media and everything is there as well. So that's probably the best place to head.
0: Okay, sweet. I'm excited to (laughs) jump in and read the book for sure. Um, Sort of going down a different path, but Mm -hmm. can you tell me about the most memorable person you've encountered during your travels and how they impressed you?
1: (laughs) So... I have met so many inspiring people during my time in other countries. I feel like I meet them all the time. Um, But since publishing the Learning Service book, um, one person that really stands out is a friend of mine who I actually interviewed for the Learning Service blog. Um, His name is Sushil Babu Chetri. And he is a Nepali person who grew up on the streets as a child, um, in Kathmandu. And then he was put into a, an orphanage that was extremely abusive. And he has the most incredible life story. Um, and when I interviewed him, he told me all these things about how not, he, he didn't only just manage to escape this situation himself, but when he did that, he brought with him all of the children that were trapped mm. in this orphanage. Um, and you know, we serialized his life story in three parts on the blog, and it it was the most widely read thing that we've ever published, I think. Um, and what I think is really inspiring about him, he's gone on to do so many amazing things. So he's now a filmmaker, and he's involved in all different kinds of education projects, and he still raises awareness about orphanages and street children and how you know the best ways to interact with children in another country isn't always the way that you'd think you know like so he's always like you know you think it's kind to give to street children but you are enabling them to stay on the streets and wow. you think it's nice to go and volunteer at an orphanage but you are supporting a system of care that is damaging for children um, and so he does all of this this stuff with um, he's in the tourist area of Kathmandu you know trying to raise awareness Um, But I think the most inspiring thing about him is that, you know, when you talk about his life, he's been through so much and yet he's managed to come through it all with such a sunny attitude and such a a zest for life um, that, you know, it it makes me feel like, you know, if, if he can do it, then, you know, this is the way also I need to be able to, to, to live my life as well so yeah
0: do you know the names of those blog posts and is there any are there any places that we um could see a video interview of him I want to see that contagious ah. uh, spirit that he has it seems
1: okay so um the blog post. um it the the name of it is I was the child you played with um and you can find it most easily if you go onto the learning service website so learningservice.info forward slash blog and then all the blog posts are there so if you look for the ones that are called i was the child you played with yeah a life on the streets and in an orphanage part one part two part three so that's all the the written stuff and then for video stuff um he has made a lot of films himself, I'm trying to think if there are any that feature him. The one that I would actually recommend hasn't yet been released, but it will be coming in the next couple of months because okay. we made a joint video for Learning service actually. Um, he likes doing really controversial video projects. so we made a video that is called um, it's called "Watch This Video to Save a Child." <laughs>
0: wow (laughs) yeah
1: so you can you can sort of maybe guess where that is going and it's um it's a satire but it does have um it has social in it a little bit and then some of our friends who are actors um so you can watch out for that one
0: (laughs) okay for sure and one last question before you go is when you think of someone who is living with purpose who is the first person that comes to mind (laughs)
1: So the first person that comes to mind is probably someone that, that lots of people think of when, when you say that. So I'm, I always think of Greta Thunberg and how, Mm. you know, but I imagine that, that, you know, she's, she's pretty much, um, there's a lot of people that are wanting to talk to her right now. So, you know, if you're not able to get hold of her, the other person that is sort of linked to her, when I think of her, um, is someone who I actually was hanging out with last week. So, Rich Brown is a previous Dragons instructor who um, was working in Guatemala. And um, he's now recently moved back to Washington DC. And I was there for the first time last week um, on, on, on the road doing a book tour and talking at conferences. And I met up with Rich and um over a cup of tea he was telling me about all the projects that he's um, involved in and he has recently um started to participate in Extinction Rebellion which is something that was inspired by Greta and all of these wonderful young people that are you know finally shaking things up and trying to hold adults to account um so I think that Rich would be a wonderful person to talk to. And I also um think that um anyone that's involved in Extinction Rebellion um is also someone that is you know, that is actually doing things quite differently right now and that, you know, people that are living with purpose. So I'm sure you'll be able to like catch up with uh, some sort of these people.
0: I think that's a great idea. So um right thank you so much for that and i hope <laughs> those come to fruition of some sort um maybe conversations with those inspiring people so yeah thank you so much for your time today claire
1: oh and thank you too it's been so lovely to have a little chat
0: we'd love to know what you thought of this episode dragon's podcast is new and will certainly evolve please send us an email with your feedback to podcastdragons at gmail.com and if you liked this episode please share it you can also subscribe at apple podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode in the next episode of the dragons podcast i talk with rich brown a dragons course director and multimedia journalist who has covered political activism and migration in central america for over five years It's already live if you want to give it a listen. Where There Be Dragons offers summer travel, gap year, and college study abroad programs in 19 countries. Dragons also offers programs for schools, teachers, families, and adults. Each program is custom crafted by our instructor team who bring their unique vision and expertise to the course design. To find out more, visit wheretherbedragons.com and follow us on Instagram at wheretherbedragons.